0: Welcome to Blurry Creatures. If it's your first time listening, uh, we're doing something different this week. One of our, our our friends, a monumental man in in the paranormal space and the fringe community, Dr. Michael Heiser is no longer with us. He passed away yesterday. And Luke, he's he's the reason Blurry Creatures is 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 what it is. I can confidently say that you know, uh, without Mike Mike Heiser and his work, I don't think this podcast would have gone this direction or even happened you know because it was it was sort of his when he kind of came into my sort of just sphere of understanding it. he made sense of a lot of things and sort of just lit a fire like this is what yeah. this is what this podcast needs to be about
1: yeah it's it's funny how things go i but you were really into to heiser's work and you know and into the thing into his his way of of teaching and reading the bible and it was new to me coming into blurry creatures and so you know funny even the first time we interviewed mike i didn't really have a lot of context for it you know and and we got to to grow a friendship with this man who Mm -hmm. you know since since then have read reversing herman and um the unseen realm which are just a really paradigm shifting and changing um Mm -hmm. the way that he approaches the bible and the way that he Takes everything back to the to the original language and context for me was was just it opened up the Bible in a, in in a new and fascinating way in a way that was very much tied to what the words actually say and that it's that for me was so important you know and over the last you a know, couple of years getting to to know Mike and even as things as crazy as just talking football and fantasy football which he was such a big sports fan which is the irony of of, of someone who's so academic I think in, in his space. Um, mm-hmm. It was really cool to develop, you know, a friendship with with, uh, with Dr. Michael Heiser, and and so yeah, this is a uh, this is a hard week, you know. Mike got promoted in a lot of ways. He's now he's now walking with Jesus, and for someone that was very much about the Divine Council, and, and in his writing, he's it's a chance to to sit with the council, and I just it's heartbreaking this side of eternity, and and I know what God grieves with us, but at the same time, he, he took, he took Mike home. So, um, you know, hard week for a lot of folks in our space. Um, a lot of guests on our show either are direct friends with Mike or studied, studied with him. And yeah, we're doing something a little different. If you are jumping in now, this is kind of a, we apologize for the, uh, for the change up this week, but I feel like it was the best way to honor a man whose life's work is life changing. And, and I think our hope is that is people that listen to the show and and perhaps you know even even nate and i we, we can in some way carry on some of the work that mike was doing in, in spreading the uh, the idea of reading and understanding especially the old testament and then the personage of jesus through the context of uh, of the old testament and 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 the original the original writers and, and words and into the context and audience that he wrote to and so we're gonna miss mike uh, this is this is a hard one
0: yeah i remember you know, where I wasn't, my faith was, I was in this stage of many years of questioning. You know, grow up in the Christian church, you hear all these stories, and I had a lot of, I don't know, I guess I had a lot of PTSD with just church culture growing up. I guess that's the best way I could say that. And then when I heard Mike kind of just say things in a way that made the stories make sense for the first time, stories that I had problems with theologically, or Socially, there's all this social stuff, and people are questioning their faith because of the, the modern movements. And it's it's hard to make sense of these stories. Mike saved my faith in a lot of ways. Without Mike, I don't know where I'd be. And uh, I was going down some really wrong rabbit holes, I think, in terms of theology. Mike was instrumental in my life and helped me make sense of a lot of the Bigfoot stuff that I was. I, that was sort of my hobby, you know. I didn't. I loved listening to it. It was just something different. It was fun to to let my mind go there when I was trying to stay busy doing work. And Mike kind of made it all make sense that the weird stuff never left. So we're gonna re-release our first interview with Mike Heiser today. And sort of a tribute to one of my favorite episodes the first time he came on, I was a little nervous. I remember when I did the interview because I—it yeah,
1: was like your Super Bowl, man. I Because I, I <laughs> didn't have a lot of context for it, and I was like, "Man, Nate's a little nervous on this one. This is a big one." Yeah. Um Yeah. And, and so, yeah, in releasing this, we just want to just say our, you know, our our prayers and our thoughts are with Drena and and the Heiser family, mm-hmm. and you know, Mike stepped into eternity into that great hope that we all have, and you know, the unseen realm was now seen to him, which is which is really a, a crazy thing and, and mike really walked in and delved into the blurry spaces and, and again i don't think we can thank him enough um for, for the work he did he would always he was the most humble man he would talk about how he it, it was none of his original thought all he did was compile the work of of researchers and, and across the the millennia that had, had studied the scripture and it just was it was organized and presented in a way that I think it's been very profound to a lot of people in this community and so we're grateful to to mike for his life We would hope that his work would, conti- would continue as 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 people pick up the torch and, and carry in his, in his way of approaching understanding the text and the bible
0: what i think is cool about mike is that he said he would go on 300 podcasts a year on average and if you do podcasts you know how much work it is to try to get your own show out or go on someone else's show and that's a big deal. So I think Mike was very generous with his time and energy to try to spread to fringe community, UFO conventions, and a lot of people in this space and bring sort of an academic perspective to those spaces and say, hey, you can take these subjects seriously. And he he, he put a sense of seriousness to this whole community that we're not all crazy tinfoil hat people. Like I said, he's he's uh, he's gonna be missed. So this one's, this one's for you, Mike.
2: I'm going to assume at least one person is right. Because if one person's right to bust the parody, that's really all you need. If one person's right to bust the parody, that's really all you need.
0: Welcome to the show, Doctor Michael Heiser. Doctor Heiser, you have a great resume. Um, you have an MA in Ancient History from the University of Pennsylvania, PhD in Hebrew Bible and Semitic Languages from the University of Wisconsin Madison. Um, you hosted a podcast called Paranormal, which is kind of like science meets paranormal. And uh, you retired that show, but you also but you have a new show called Fringe Pop, which tackles topics that we talk about on our show. And you also have the Naked Bible podcast where you try to teach people this, you know, plugging in these narratives that we talk about on our show into the Bible and making sense of it at the Awakening School of Theology. Man, it's great to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for coming on. We wanted to bring you on the show because, uh, obviously, I think you've you've helped many of uh, people like myself kind of reread the Bible for the first time. Like, I had been listening to, I got really into Bigfoot podcasts. And started listening to these stories. And then once I started listening, I don't know how, but your episodes kind of kept coming into the things that I was listening to. And you helped me kind of connect the dots. Like, my mind was open to the idea of Bigfoot. Mm -hmm. Like, there's this, you know, unexplained creature in the woods. There's a lot of things I don't know. And then when the giants and some of the stuff you talk about kind of came into the story, it was like, I grew up in the church. I, I heard a lot of this stuff. Half the Bible stories didn't make any sense to me. And I and I kinda kept only, that to myself, you know. Only half. <laughs> well, you know, the ones that I could remember.
2: Yeah.
0: Um and you know, just growing up, you never have those answers. So I just I just want to say thanks because you helped connect the dots and you say that a lot on episodes. Like you never had an original thought, you just connect the dots. Right. And uh <laughs> I heard you say that a lot.
2: Yeah, it's not magic, it's true. I have to ask you, uh, have you had a Bigfoot experience though?
0: Uh I saw something I saw. A creature as a child in the window of my parents' house, it wasn't Bigfoot. And it wasn't till later on in life when I started hearing other people describe this creature that I was like, maybe I didn't make that up. Maybe, maybe I did see that.
2: Yeah. I was wondering where the interest came from. It's, it's ironic you mentioned that because I, I don't know if you listen to Monster Talk at all, which is, uh, it's, it's a podcast about monsters, but it's, it's put on by, um, I don't know, some skeptical society. I don't know if it's Psycop or something else, but it's a good show. I've actually been on the show. Okay. And they they had two guys on that did a two-volume uh, set of research books on Bigfoot. And their whole thing was they're, they would classify themselves as believers, but not that it's a creature. Yeah. It's some sort of paranormal thing. And And I found the interview really interesting because I had no idea – And they had very direct, explicit examples of how Bigfoot stuff gets reported and all the all the extraneous paranormal stuff that go with it gets left out of the accounts. Yeah. Orbs, women in white, you know, basically their thing is if if you took Bigfoot out of these stories, you'd have a poltergeist story. Yeah. (laughs) Interesting though. I mean it was it was was, was quite fascinating. Yeah. I I had never it's a different niche to go back and collect all this stuff from both the literature and you know anecdotal stuff and going back decades, you know, and it, it's, it's not just North America. They, they did it, you know, in other countries as well. You see the patterns.
0: When you hear the stories, it takes time for your mind to open up enough. You know, you hear, yeah. you hear one weird story and you just go, nah, it's, it's, I can't do it. But if you hear a hundred of them, you start to go, there's something to all this. And the same goes with some of the weirder parts of the Bible. Like, you know, a lot of people just they do the same thing. They edit out the weird stuff from the Bible, and because they just their their <laughs> mind's not ready for it, right?
2: I see what you did there. See, <laughs> you're right, broadcast professional, right? <laughs> <laughs>
0: but like, I I love the weird stuff. The weird stuff is what kept me going back to the podcasts, to Bigfoot, and now it's like I can reread the Bible. With fresh eyes. I I feel like a kid again. I just, I don't know anything. I have to reread it again completely.
2: Well, I I mean, I, I felt same way. I mean, you've listened to me often enough. I'm sure that you've heard me say that too, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a little disturbing, but also invigorating to be a PhD student in a major Hebrew studies department and feel like you're rediscovering the Bible for the first time. (laughs) And it's a little bit humbling too, you know, but I just had to be provoked, you know, by providence and and taken down a few pegs, basically to, "Eh, you don't really know too much of anything.
0: (laughs) And do you you think that's like the Holy Spirit or a supernatural thing that kind of opened your mind and your eyes to that? Or is it just...
2: I I, I think it was just, you know, I think there were a lot of, I mean, I use the word providence because I think God typically moves in ways that we don't even detect until we have hindsight. You know, a lot of people I think make make the, the flawed assumption or have the flawed assumption that God is present in the spectacular. And I'm not saying he he can't be, but typically God is is present in the stuff you never notice, just in the normal, mundane, everyday kind of thing. Because we we forget that the Bible is very selective in the stories it tells. And even the, the people that it focuses on, we don't get a running account of every day, every 24-7 part of their life. We get snippets. You know, we get episodes. It's very episodic and very selective. Most of the time, I'm betting Moses was was pretty bored. You know, I mean, it's just like, yeah, here we go again. I got to, you know, get out of bed. I got to do another 20 miles here with these people that just can't stop complaining. You know, in other words, it was a very normal, mundane kind of existence, except when it wasn't, you know.
1: Hmm. yeah you get the, you get the
2: highlights right it's, yeah we get the like, highlights you yeah, know? It's,
1: it's, it's not like yeah man, there's the camel this, you know the camel broke down and uh, so, so it's
2: it's a, it's, a flawed, it's a flawed idea therefore to think that God is less active now than he was then. actually not hmm. Hmm. You know because most of their lives are again, it's a series of providences to put them in the right place at the right time are they going to be receptive, you know, or not, you know, does God have to, to move to somebody else to get something done? It, it's, it's actually very similar.
0: That's a great point. God is not less active now than he was then. Cause that's the thing that's, it's a complete narrative now, the way I see it, yeah. it's like the weird stuff still happening. And you, you do things like you go to U, UFO conferences and you kind of help sort of the amalgamation of the fringe and the academic, mm-hmm. you can kind of allow smart people to look into this stuff. You kind of give them the keys, like, "Hey, you know, you can do this. You can actually listen to some of these podcasts, and you can read some of these books." Mm -hmm. But you also, you probably don't err on the side of going too far, like because some guys in this space get. I
2: I like to say I'm, and this is true. This is just, you know, if you ask me to profile myself, you know, here we go. (laughs) I'm skeptical of everything, but I'm I'm willing to believe anything. You know, in other in other words, I want a data driven argument. Period. Doesn't really matter what what's at the end of that. If it's data driven, it's data driven. There, there we go. You know, I'm 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 open to, again, people having a very strange experiences. I do, as I say on my Fringe Pop, you know, YouTube channel. We open every episode with saying the world is stranger than we think, but thinking should not be strange. Okay. In other words, you, your thinking should be coherent. It should be data based. You know, evidence based. You know, critical thinking, use the tools of logic, tools of science when they apply, you know. So, yeah, I, I, I think everything should be probed and questioned and critiqued, but also be open to an outcome of all that that might be sort of out, outside the box that you yeah. you've been you know, occupying for most of the time.
0: So you don't think the the giants were a hundred foot tall?
2: No, I don't. don't. Okay. Now this is a good example. How is that a data-driven argument? Well, it's a data-driven argument. If we take, you know, biblically, and this is usually where the, where the, the conversation lives, are any of them actually described in terms of their physical dimensions? Well, you have an unnamed one and you got Goliath. Okay. So You know, if you're you're reading the the Goliath story, you know, he's the most familiar. The the other one's just a tad bit taller, potentially, and and you'll understand why I say potentially. But if if we're looking at the the original Hebrew text, you know, we get the Masoretic text that has him in in terms of feet and inches, like nine feet, six inches tall. Well, that's wonderful, except that the Dead Sea Scrolls don't say that. Mm. And neither does the Septuagint. So the Hebrew text from which the Septuagint was translated does not say that. Instead of six cubits in a span, both of those sources have four cubits in a span, which puts them at 6669, right? And you say, well, uh, you just ruined the story for me, Mike. You know, well, in a, in a day when, according to skeletal remains, you know, and, and we, don't, we don't really have very many skeletons from the biblical period, say 1000 BC in, 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 from Israel, archaeologically. But the ones that we have, and the mummies, Okay. That we have, in other words, mummified remains from at least the region have the average height of a male at like five foot two, five foot three. Okay. So put a five foot two guy up against, you know, two tall Jones or, you know, somebody like JJ Watt or whatever, you know, yeah. that's intimidating. Okay. You get a bunch of people out there who aren't warriors and they're a lot smaller against a trained army of that that's sprinkled with these dudes yeah. We're gonna get our butts kicked like really fast. <laughs> okay. It's, so even if you no even con- if you
0: err on even if you err on the side of caution is kind of what you're saying. They're still big.
2: They're still they're still big. You know, it, it this is what kills me. Like you, you know, you read about these giants in ancient Egypt, okay? Or or these, you know, some pharaohs were alien, you know, human hybrids, which are supposed to be connected to Nephilim. I you mean, know, all this the way the bunny trail goes we have their mummies. Okay, The mummies can be measured with a tape measure. Okay. So, you know, with, with one except there's like one Pharaoh over six feet tall. I mean, it's not hard to come up with data that can either support or undermine an idea. It's just that hmm. a lot of times people don't look for it or they forget, you know, some things that they might want to look at. You know, this is just a problem with, with this whole, you know, fringe community, and I, I like the fringe community. I've been in it for over twenty years, yeah. And, I, and I'm willing to believe. Like I said, I'm I'm willing to believe anything if you have a coherent. Well, well that's a good a question. What's, argument.
0: what's the strangest thing? Where, where's the line for you? Like, what's something you would say this is the hardest thing for me to believe, but I do believe it. Like, it, at most, out of the box.
2: Uh, that's a really good question. I would have to say just the just the notion of an active, you know, animate supernatural world, I do believe that. In other words, I am not satisfied with a materialistic worldview at all. I don't even need, you know, Bible stuff for that. I mean, I've read enough in, in paranormal literature to, to believe that, you know what? It's really unlikely that everybody who reports something strange that doesn't conform to a materialist worldview, that they're all lying. Yeah. That's really unlikely. So, I'm gonna I'm gonna assume at least one person (laughs) is right because if one person's right, it busts the paradigm. That's really all you need, and you know you 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 can test it, you know, through the rules of logic and stuff like this about what we know about science. And I I know enough scientists, people in the hard sciences, that will will be very forthright and say science just doesn't have answers to certain questions, and by definition, it can't because of the way it operates, you know, with detecting things with the five senses and testability and all this stuff. So, you know, you, you, you throw that all, you know, into, into the mix and it's like, it's, it's a daring thing today as an academic to affirm the reality of an active supernatural world. And I, and I'm not a charismatic either. So I I have, you know, I have difficulties with, with, you know, certain charismatic streams, even though I have I have good charismatic friends that I, I just enjoy a lot. And are,
1: you're saying you're not a snake handler.
2: I'm not a snake handler. Um, you know, <laughs> I've actually been ruined. I'll, I'll, let's be honest with you. I've, I've, I think I've actually been ruined with respect to charismatic movement stuff by my reading in paranormal literature. Because I know that I can find exactly the same speaking in tongues phenomenon over in some religion that is about as far away from the gospel as I can possibly get. I know that I can get healing. I can get speaking in tongues. I can get visions. I can get all of it. Yeah. Frankly, you can get all of it in UFO literature too. Hmm. But, but if you widen the net, it's all there. And so that leaves me in a quandary, like somebody comes to me with a story about this or that and you know, I don't. I don't shoot at them like, like, hey, you, you. need to go over and read this book about what they're doing in, in you know, Hindu land or something, and, and, you know, to invalidate your experience. I'm not going to do that. What I, what I, you know, usually tell people is, look, there's, there's really, if they ask me what I think, you know, there's really only one way to evaluate that, this, and that is, does it bear fruit? And that's mm-hmm. going to take time. So I, I'm going to suspend judgment and, and see, does, does this give you a closer walk with god does it help your testimony does it bear fruit in other ways or just does it does it just die and go away is it forgotten you know mm. it, that, that's that's all i can do so i'm kind of ruined you know by my yeah. lighter exposure to to fringy stuff
0: most people are i think a lot of people grow up in in our you know
1: we talk about that like the those things right like the the spiritual gifts as they're called in, in yeah in do do you see like a parallel in in finding that in other places with I and mean, is a little bit of a jump but like the whole ancient alien thing where it really just ends up being semantics like we're talking about or are we are we talking about things that like on a just on a level of is this, is this part of a, a counter well
2: it i think it's i think it's both in, on on one level it is semantics okay for instance if i wanted to write get a phd in religious studies and do my dissertation on glossalia or xenoglossy. I mean, everybody's going to use the same language, you know, to talk about the phenomenon no matter where it occurs. So the phenomenon has has consistencies, but, you know, we either have, we really have two choices well, three, you know, one, everybody's lying, which again, I don't think is coherent. Number two is it's self-induced or number three, there there is a supernatural power. In other words, some non-material power behind this. If you opt for number three, then you got a choice to make. Is it good or evil? You know, is it of God or is it of not? Is it not? And so, at that point, I think you get into the into the counterfeiting territory. To me, it's not a stretch at all, given what we know about you know from Scripture about the supernatural world, that the spiritual gifts could be counterfeited. I mean, you look up Deuteronomy, you know, thirteen. Everybody knows Deuteronomy eighteen. You know, if a prophet says something, it doesn't come to pass, then you stone (laughs) him. Well, we kind of forget that there's Deuteronomy thirteen too, which Mm. says. Which has a prophet saying something, and it does come to pass. They had the ability to do that, but if the messaging is you know, again contrary to to what the Lord says, get rid of that guy.
1: Dang! It's like test, well, it's testing the spirits, right? Jesus,
2: right? Them. It's testing yeah. the spirits, and so you know you have you have these sorts of things. You know these you get these little snippets in Scripture, even like laws against necromancy. Okay, Scripture has laws not because things can't be done. Like there's no law that says thou shalt not jump off a cliff and fly across, you know, the the, the canyon there. And it, you know, well, of course not. At least I know I'll never disobey that one. You know, right. it, it has laws in in because things can be done and should not be done for different reasons. Mm. So you have laws against, you know, commands against doing things on on supernatural turf, and there there's a good there are good reasons for that. God's not just like a killjoy. I mean, it's for your protection, plus why, would, why in the world would you think, given the fact that you're a human, you're embodied, that when you're on this turf, you know what the heck's going on? Why would you think that thought? It's ridiculous.
1: You think a lot of the things we see like that are kind of crazy stem from that, like the Babylon workings and all this crazy stuff that we know about that happened?
2: I, I do think, I do think there's, there's a good bit of that. I, I, I'm willing to assign a, a good bit of that, under, and I, I'll put the label of misdirection on it you know, some, something that blinds people to the truth in terms of here's here's something you should believe as opposed to believing what, what you're off believing now. Um, I, I don't think it's necessarily there to, to demonize or, or harm a person physically or something like that. I think it's more misdirection uh, than anything, uh, even though the other can happen as well. But I think you're in, into both, you know, so sometimes, you know, there there is a semantic art issue there, that there's a lot of similarity, but There's a lot of dissimilarity too. Yeah. When it comes to the ultimate messaging.
0: Yeah, it kind of feels like a lot of times people are like they're, you know, a kid finding their dad's shotgun. You you, there's a lot of power here and you don't if you don't if you're not trained.
2: Right. Some someday I do want you to use this. Yes. But we're not that that day yet. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And
1: and for well, and for a purpose, right? This is yeah, we use this when you go when you go duck hunting or whatever, not 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 pulling the trigger inside. Right. Well, you,
0: yeah, and it sounds like to me, and I, and I don't know what your daily life is, but you, it sounds like you're trying to get people just to even in that door. Like there are entities, there is supernatural stuff happening. It's all over scripture. It's everywhere, and it, people are so skeptical. I would, so. I
2: would say initially that's true. It's become a little more acute for me though, and and what I mean by that is, you know, initially it's like, hey, you know, there, there's a lot of stuff going on. It's unreasonable to think that everybody lies. Yeah. It's unreasonable to think that everybody's pulling a hoax. You know, if you talk to people like at a UFO conference, you have a dinner and around the table, there's a lawyer, there's a teacher, there's a school bus driver, you know, they're just normal people. And and they're there basically to share their stories. They're not trying to be in a spotlight. They're very hesitant in most cases to bring this up outside of a safe community like this. They got nothing to gain and, and a lot to lose and a lot of irritation. So, you know, you, you start to see that and you want people on the outside to not marginalize these people and not make these assumptions, you know, and, you know because there's a lot of this stuff out there, but it's become more acute for me because, you know, and I, I'm no prophet or a son of a prophet, but I, I think this is a reasonable prediction uh, to make. And that is because it's already brewing within the evangelical community, again, the, the ostensible. And it's not—I'm not saying ostensibly because I think it's fake. I, th- I think they this is a genuine believing community. But within the evangelical community, there is and is going to be more of a resistance to believing in supernatural things. Even the stuff that I write in my books, like divine counsel and you know, principalities and powers actually being real—that the Old Testament writers actually believed the gods and the nations were real—and they're trouble. We stay away from them. You know, all this sort of stuff. There are a lot of evangelicals who just don't, don't have any time for that. And, and what the reason it concerns me is that if I were an enterprising atheist, you've just given me everything I need to undermine anyone who follows you. Because all I'm going to do is I'm going to say, okay, if I understand you correctly, here are supernatural statements in, in category A that the Bible says, deity of Christ, trinity, you know, hypostatic union, you know, all these theological things, even the concept of salvation, okay? That's supernatural stuff, that's in in category A, and over here's category B, the gods are real, principalities and powers are those gods, you know, Nephilim stuff, Sons of God, Genesis 6. So we need to embrace this, you know, category A, and we can reject category B. If that's the case, well, I got a question. On what basis do you do that when both categories come from the same source? If I'm going to use your argument here in category B, what's to prevent me from traversing to category A and saying that's not real either? That's not real either. That's not real.
0: Yeah, exactly. You
2: know, I, I, parse I have, the equation for me.
0: I've had these conversations with some of my friends who are, they have, you know, podcasts like this and they push things that like Satan doesn't exist. There is no. And I say, they, because they have this idea, it sounds like, that the conservative church is the problem because we haven't progressed. We don't know the issues. And I'm like, well, what happens when an alien shows up? That means, you know, all your, your, you know, your fear. Of bringing the supernatural into the conversation is out the window. People will not believe in Christianity, your Christianity at, at that point, right? I got
2: one that's even more likely. What happens when masses of people around the world are convinced that aliens do exist, whether you actually yeah. get one or not? Exactly, that's the threat, you mean, you can, right? You can move those herds. You can move those herds without even producing one. Well, ancient aliens is already doing and it, then, right? And then the problem. Is- Right. The, the problem becomes the same thing. Yeah, it's the same problem. So I, I think that we're we're kind of, you know, and I get it to the, this is how it goes. Well, and again, I'm not saying this makes any sense, but somehow lots of evangelicals have convinced themselves that it's okay to demythologize the Bible for category B. Mm. But we have to have category A because then even calling ourselves a Christian would make no sense at all. Well, the question is still on the table. On what basis do I have these categories and pick one and reject the other? It, it, it really just doesn't make any sense. And, and what it really comes down to in a lot of conversations is, well, I think this, the stuff in this category is just more respectable. I mean, I, I, can, I can believe that and people won't think I'm crazy. Yeah. But again, the, the question really isn't answered. The question isn't what do, uh, what do people think? The question is to you. Okay, you're the one that says you're the Bible believer. And if your only answer is I feel more comfortable with column A than I do column B, I can have better conversations in column A than I can with column B, that's really not the- theology. <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. That's like that's like looking to to feel, you know, that, that's looking inward. You know, it it, it just doesn't it's not coherent.
0: Do you feel like that's by design? Like if everyone doesn't believe if everyone gets like, you know, they're hardcore into evolution, they don't think anything's supernatural. We just kind of all evolved. Then, you know, there is this mass deception that could sweep in and deceive millions because they're primed. They're almost so far to the left that if something comes from the right, they're not thinking about it. They're not seeing it. It's like, oh,
2: yeah, I, I think people, I think people can get entrapped for all sorts of reasons. You know, I, There are plenty of Christians out there who accept both evolution and a supernatural world. There are plenty of Christians out there who don't accept evolution and don't accept a supernatural world. You know, there, there's no really, there's no neat way to sort of, you know, create the taxonomy and and then be able to pick, well, okay, this one's going to get attacked this way and go that direction and all that. So, you know, I, I think, I think the, the threat the sort you know the the threat is common the source of the threat again i think is intelligent evil that's common the strategy is what i think is different in other words that the path that people can be led to or are on and don't see the implications of it i think there's there's significant variety there and and i think part of the of the cheer is to have conversations like this one you know write books and do podcast you know at least get someone to consider the implications of, of what they believe and what they're asking you to believe. And I think we can do that in non-confrontational ways. You know, like when when I, you know, it's been a while since I, I don't know, maybe five, six years since I've spoken at a UFO conference. But back in the old days, uh, I did I did Roswell, I don't know, for three or four years in a row. And there was always this one woman in, in the crowd, like, I don't know, like, do you always take vacation at the same time of the year and go to the same place? (laughs) The Roswell, you know, conference, but I, I, we would refer to her as the Gnostic chick, you know, and she was a Gnostic and she was committed, but she was always, she's always there and she wasn't bombastic or anything like that. I mean, this is a a thoughtful person and she always had good questions. And what I would ultimately end up telling her, you know, depending on what the question was, is look, and, and you're doing this in front of everybody. Here's what I need to switch side. Here's what I need to come over to your side. I need you to demonstrate this and this and this and this. So that, that was a way of me not just saying, well, you're just some crazy chick that shows up every year, you know, cause that would be disrespectful and really untrue, you know, in her case. But it, it sort of gave her homework. So it, it it didn't validate her position, but it let her know that I was taking the conversation seriously. And I might be thinking, you know, you really don't have a prayer of ever producing these things. But but I'm not going to just dismiss you because of what you believe or what you think. And and I was being honest. If you can do this, this, and this, and this, well then then you win. Then you've got you've got the compelling art. I
1: love this. Is where it's going though, Mike. If you're UFOs, what what do you? If you're speaking to these UFO conferences, what aside from you know engaging with this Gnostic woman, like what what kind of what platform are you presenting when you're talking about UFOs in, in that space? I'm not familiar. Yeah. With, with
2: well, I, I would usually get, get invited to a UFO conference for one of two reasons or maybe both. One was people liked uh, to hear me talk about could conservative you know, Bible-believing uh, Judeo-Christianity, could it survive or sustain a genuine extraterrestrial reality? Okay. So that was like lecture one. And then I, I didn't get looped into the ancient aliens thing. So that was usually took the form of a critique of Zechariah Sitchin, or let's talk about Ezekiel one or, you know, something like that. Okay. So I would, I would get invited for one of those two things. And and I, I really liked the first talk because it's important and it, it but it gets me into the, a better understanding because I think our, the, the, the dominant evangelical position about what the image of God is, is, is weak. And it is very ethically tenuous. And I, I'm even willing to call it dangerous. So it would get me into the image of God issue. And it was also an opportunity to go through the gospel. Because ultimately you, you get to the question of, okay, if there are aliens, does Jesus have to go in all these worlds and die? So you, you have to talk about what the atonement is how it's accomplished, you know, so that invariably gets you, you know, through into a gospel presentation and talking about the, the theological subjects that attach themselves to that. So that was always good, you know, that it, it's a surreal experience to be going through the the plan of salvation in front of four or five hundred people at a UFO conference. But, in the context
1: yeah. of aliens, right? Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah in the
2: context yeah. of aliens, but but people, I, I've said this and it's offensive to a lot of Christians, but I, it's true, so... <laughs> okay, you know, deal with it. I, you know, I—the average person at a UFO conference is more primed to have a good theological discussion with than the average person in church. Those people are ready for the conversation because they're hungry. They're, they're hungry, and they're already thinking about the major, big picture questions: Who are we? Who is God? Like, like, what is, what or who is God? Why are we here? How do we get here? You know, these are all the the big overarching theological questions, and and they're down that road. So you can have really good conversations, and and people were interested in church, churchy talk or, you know, Bible talk as it relates to UFO stuff, because mentally most of the people in the audience have already wondered about these questions. So it it was actually very easy, you know, to do that.
0: And there's a lot of evidence, you know, of ancient history. And people, you do a little bit of studying, you realize that the answers you're given don't satisfy.
2: Yeah. yeah the 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 difficult point for a lot of people on both sides, whether they're Christians or not, is to realize that questions aren't answers. Bad answers don't necessarily reveal the right answers. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know it, it. Ancient aliens. You know, I, I mean, I I understand why it's popular because. It offers. I mean, just just think about the intelligence that I'm talking about. The whoever came up with the idea, I don't think they were they had the foresight that we're going to be in 16 seasons now. But right. but but as far as like the saleability of it, what you have is you have a lot of people who reject the narrative of the Bible, Judeo Christianity. They don't they, they don't they reject the, the 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 whole explanation of origins and who we are and why we're here and all that stuff. But at the same time, you also have people who reject a Darwinistic approach. It's unsatisfying for any number of reasons. So there's this middle realm. And what ancient aliens does is it allows people to retain mystery to life. It allows them to seek and believe in something transcendent. It allows them to, to answer all the questions they have without appeal you know, to these other two poles. It's this middle road that addresses all the important questions, which is why people find it so attractive. Plus, here's the bonus. It comes with zero spiritual accountability. You know, to,
1: to it's, like, well, it's like new yeah. age. It sounds like the, like the new age movement almost like it's just, you can yeah. fit in this, you can find this little niche, this area, and there isn't any accountability. It's kind of whatever you want to make it.
2: It gives you a place. It gives you a place to disagree with the other two poles. Right. Hmm and have the discussion that you want to have.
0: Yeah, yeah, you can carve out you can carve out your niche and then you can market yourself to that niche and you can grow the niche. Yeah. And then the, the problem is is like, you know, have you watched that um there's a documentary on Netflix about it was in Oregon that they started this cult. Cool oh yeah,
1: Wild Country. Wild
0: Wild country. Wild Wild Country. Have you seen that? No, I haven't seen it. Oh, oh with man.
2: Are you got... familiar with the Cultish podcast? No. Okay, it's it's too it's, this is going to sound crazy in and of itself. It's two reformed guys who are open to the spiritual gifts. Like, like those two things don't don't go together right out of the gate.
3: Right. Yeah,
2: but they talk about cults, and they've they've done some of that. So I'm, I've heard a little bit about some of these groups because I listen to cultish, but I've not seen the, the show.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, Wild Wild Country is just started out this little like commune, and it just grew into this massive thing to where you know the government had to get involved. It, it's a wild documentary. You got to watch it. It explains a lot of the phenomenon. This is back in the seventies of like how people can get into something and then they think they're having a spiritual experience or they think they're finding the truth. And it just grows to this massive level. And I saw that in the music industry, you know, like a band would kind of put out a persona and then they would just blow up to be this huge thing. And they were like, come backstage and they'd be like, man, this is it's like the the caricature that I'm playing has grown beyond like they don't even take it serious but all the fans do Mm -hmm. it's it's a weird thing that happens when things go uh viral or massive Mm -hmm. and 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 I want to say you know one of the questions I always have for you when when I'm listening to your podcast and I can't I can't ask you the questions but I'm thinking them as I'm doing housework or whatever is how you know my understanding has evolved to where everything's so much bigger now is that How like when I think about Christ and what Christ does, it seems like there's so much more going on. Like when I think about the transfiguration, there's deeper layers. How has that the idea of Christ grown for you since?
2: It it, I would say exactly the same way that the more interconnectivity you see, your sense of the of the bigness of whatever it is you're looking at in terms of the passage and and the concepts therein, that has to grow in relationship. Again, to that interconnectivity. You know, you take the transfiguration. There's there's a lot of Moses imagery, there's a lot of Exodus imagery in there, you know, the cloud, the voice, you know, the whole the whole bit. You know, it it, it happens on, you know, Mount Hermon. I mean, it, it, you take that simple story that gets preached all the time, and there's all these layers. And and the more of that stuff you see, and then you you also move from that and you see how another biblical writer will hook back into this passage. And specifically pick up on one of those invisible points. Like you know, there's there, there's other layering that happens between passages. And for me, it's just it's made me, you know, to, to use simple language. Yeah, scripture is a lot bigger. the The whole overarching story is a lot more is a lot bigger. And what I mean, it's more complex. It's more intricate. And ultimately, it's more intelligent because you you have this this document we call the Bible. This collection of books. It's written over, you know, more than a thousand years, and the and the interconnectivity of it is so granular in places, you know, with with what, how one author you know uses something else from another. It's really it. it I hate to use the word like magnificent because that sounds a little too flowery, but but that's what it is. It's just it's kind of awesome. So you know, all all of this has has just given me a bigger appreciation for. The intelligence and the magnitude of what God is really up to. In other words, what God was up to didn't. It's not just the cross. I mean, the cross is the central linchpin, you know, event, but it's so much bigger than that. And it and it's actually told to you in the pages of Scripture in in so much you know bigger ways, more complex ways, more interesting ways. Hmm. more clever ways, you know, more cryptic ways. I mean,
0: yeah. Ways that UFO people, UFO yeah. people could, could enjoy, right? Right.
2: There, there's yeah. so much going on, you know, texts and subtexts. And it, it it's really become a thing of wonder, you know, to me, I don't, I don't feel like I'm like I've tapped scripture. You know, it, it I told somebody a, a week ago that I already kind of know what I'm doing with the rest of my life. And that is, I'm going to, I'm going to, I could spend the rest of my life just doing nothing but Genesis one through 15.
3: Hmm.
2: I would wow. never run out of stuff to, to think about. I already know that, you know, it, it, it's just an amazing thing.
1: There's so much in there too. I mean, I mean, we just, the we, prologue times, is everything.
2: Yeah. And we sit
1: and look at just even on this show, especially just look at the, a few verses in Genesis six, which, you know, are a couple lines that talk about something that is such a huge topic. I know you've written on all, mm-hmm. on all of it, on, on what happened on Mount Hermon and, and how that, you know, like, I think what's interesting, what, what you said is that it, it's the it's like the way it's woven, right? All that stuff then weaves itself in. And if you and if you understand context contextually what happens in the beginning there, you mm-hmm. see it all the way through, all the way through to Revelation. You see mm-hmm. the threads, which I think is magnificence a good it, way. I don't even know how else you would describe well, it. Well,
0: esoteric no. is the word I keep thinking, right? Like, is it written in code kind of on purpose? Like is 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 it written in a way where it's not you see
2: that, that that thought helps us comfort ourselves? <laughs> but I think and what I mean by that is I don't know if you're listening to the Revelation series on the podcast where John you know John will will be re- relaying you know some some piece of his vision or you know something he saw and, and he he's he's crafting it in such a way to try to situate it within the the, the, the prophetic tradition that has preceded him. You know, he's just one of a, of a line of, of, of prophetic voices here. And so he's dipping into the Old Testament, but the way he does it to us is so messy. What I mean by that is he won't just, he won't ever have the thought, you know, I'd like to make this point. So I'm going to go cite this verse in the Old Testament and I'm just going to stay there and you're going to be able to follow. No, that's not what he does. I like this phrase from this passage. I like that one over here. Four or five of these, throw them all in the blender, turn on the button, and you're supposed to just know where he got the stuff and why he just did that. So it's comforting for us to say, oh, it's mysterious, it's cryptic, it's esoteric, like mystical. No, you're just not smart enough to follow this guy. He has assumed so much of his audience. He's assumed so much of a knowledge base of his readers. And the fact that you can't keep up with that, that's your problem.
3: <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh,
2: you you don't get to retreat and say that John was trying to, to be obscure and mystify you. No, you feel mystified because you don't know your Bible well enough hmm. to follow. And that's really humbling.
0: Do you think that everyone needs like their their wilderness moment in their life to read it? Do you think that you have to go through some kind of struggle before you can see what it's saying to you? Because it seems like this just Endless story of people coming to the end of themselves and then
2: I, I do think there needs to be some conscious decision, whether it's provoked by an episode or a podcast or a book or a sermon or whatever. There there still has to be a conscious decision, and it's a simple one, but it's it's a profound one and it, it can be a disturbing, troubling one. For me, you know, it was you know, like I related Unseen Realm the, the very first chapter, my for me, it was getting provoked to read Psalm 82 in Hebrew, okay? And as soon as you, you, you take the, the red pill here, you're going to be confronted with, with the question of, okay, am I really willing to read the Bible like an ancient person would? And what that means is I'm going to dispense or at least just set aside my community tradition. The, the, the way I've been taught to think about this, I'm going to set it aside and I'll, I'll come back and reevaluate it, but I'm going to take a long trip down this road, knowing that, you know, when I get far enough down, I may not revisit this or I may only revisit part of it. And and, and if I don't just come back full circle and say everything's the same, if I if I change some things, I could lose friendships. I could lose job. In my case, it was, is anybody ever going to hire me? I don't fit anywhere. You know, it's like I went, you know, 15 years of graduate school. Like, where? How? you know, am I going find, to find work? You know, because ultimately I'm going to, the question I'm going to ask in a job interview is, am I allowed to say I could be wrong? Or no, it could be this way over here, even though our tradition looks at it this way. Do I have the freedom to do that? And I'll be honest with you, when you're, if you're looking to be a pastor or a professor somewhere in many places, you're not allowed to do that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I've experienced that. Yeah. There's so many risks. I mean, I have people write me messages like, man, I love what you said on Twitter the other day. If I said anything like that, I I would be afraid to lose my job. I mean, this extends from just people speaking their minds on social media all the way up to pastors of churches, Mm -hmm. mega churches. The the cancel culture is so much deeper and and real than anyone even realizes. And I think I kind of want to get back to the question of, of Jesus again, because like, like, if you could put in a nutshell to people at a UFO conference, what Christ does, what would you say? Like, what does he do? Where does he go after he, he's crucified? What ultimately does he do? Does he, because now that you plug in the Giants and the Watchers and Enoch and other things, there's not many people they can just encapsulate in a few minutes. What is, what does Jesus do? Like What does he really yeah, do?
2: I, I if, if I were going to, if I were giving a talk like that, I, I don't know what I would title it to to fit with the UFO you know, conference, but if I were, I would like to show them that if we, if we take this account here as legit, real, and not only just Genesis 6, but I would, I would present to them why the world is such a mess. There's three reasons. Genesis 6 is a big part of this. I would want to show how Jesus and the way he, his work on the cross is presented and, and the resurrection and the ascension, the whole bit how it systematically reverses all these things. Hmm. I'd want to talk about where he goes and why and what conversations he has and what the implications are in terms of reversal. So I would want to present, this is going to sound really weird or or inappropriate, but it might might make you laugh, but I would want to present the story of Jesus as spiritual warfare (laughs) (laughs) because that's what it is. it's not just this historical event thing that happens and now I can have forgiveness of sins. Okay. We're done now. Like Mm. the way we talk about it oftentimes actually strips the cosmic dimension out of it. Exactly. When, when all of that is actually an integral part, you know, to, to what the whole story is. So you you gotta have, it's like like a good movie. You got, you gotta have, you can't miss the introduction. Because the introduction is going to create the tension. It's going to introduce the main things that, are, that you know, the, the film's going to deal with. It's going to you know, give you sort of the plot trajectories, you know, where they begin. And then the ending is supposed to resolve this stuff. Well, that, that, that's how I would want to present it. Here's the mm-hmm. prologue, Genesis 1 through 11. Why should we care? Well, it explains why the world is just, you know, the, 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 the awful mess that it is. It explains both human and supernatural evil. Here's what we're up against. You know, we're, we're estranged from God. We've got all this, all these other problems. And, and not only that, but we have, we have spiritual powers who are opposed to God's interest in having us back. Hmm. The rest of the Bible is the story of God not giving up on the original plan, but now he has rivals and enemies on both sides.
3: Hmm.
2: So this is the story. And, and then how Jesus works all, walks all those things back and brings them to resolution. That, that's what I would want to do, because I can guarantee that, that 99.9% of the people in that room have never heard the gospel presented that way. Mm. It's always about clean up your act, you know, get your sins forgiven. And, you know, the, the Lord does, I mean, the gospel does that.
0: Yeah.
2: It does that. But, but that needs to be situated in this bigger. It's like the last five minutes off. of the movie. Yeah. It, it just, it's just like. They,
0: they, yeah, I say that all the times. I think that's why we have forty thousand denominations of Christianity, because everyone's watched a half-over movie, <laughs> right? And they don't know how to make sense of the story, right. so they just, so we just keep re. Oh, this is what this is what we think happens.
2: Go with your metaphor. They, they've either missed the prologue, or they only know the first of three scenes in the prologue. Mm. It's the serpent in Eden. We're taught not to see anything supernatural in Genesis 6. And we never even get to where Daniel gets his theology, Prince of Persia, Prince of Greece. Like, did he just invent that? No, it's, it's what happened at the Babylon event by virtue of Deuteronomy 32, 8, and 9. We never get that because our English translations are not following the Dead Sea Scrolls. We, we literally can't even see it if we went looking for it. So we've got one of three parts of the introduction, and we have no appreciation. For, again, how the story ends, you know, the, the whole, all these trajectories are lost.
1: So when you talk about, I have to go back to this real quick, Jesus doing the reversal, reversing those things that, that the Mount Hermon put into, into motion. If you give like a cliff notes version of those, those sure. things that he did, what were those things that he did that reversed those yeah. things that were in motion?
2: All right. We've, we've, humanity has three problems. Okay. We're all familiar with the Eden story. Okay. The serpent and Eden and all that. The Nakash who, you know, I, I think it's pretty clear as a supernatural being. So we've got supernatural opposition from the beginning. And we've got the beginning of human rebellion and supernatural rebellion. So the end result of that is is we have estrangement from God. Most Christians, again, are going to know that. We also now have a death problem, which is why the supernatural rebel is sent to the Eretz, which, yes, it does mean earth, but it's also a word for the underworld. Now we have an underworld all of a sudden. Why? Because now we have death. And every human being is going to end up there. All everything dies now. So that's problem number one. Number two is we got the Genesis six thing, which really isn't so much about the Nephilim and all all the stuff we like to gravitate toward. Again, I I discuss this at length in my Demon's book and an unseen realm, but especially the demon's book. The real problem there is depravity. So on the physical level, with the Nephilim, the people of God now have a lethal threat to deal with. And they do. The Nephilim were wiped out by the time of David, who Hmm, who wipes out the Nephilim? Moses, Joshua, and David. What do all those, what do those three things have in common? They're all foreshadowings. They're types of the Messiah. Mm. The new Joshua, Yeshua, yeah. Jesus in Greek and the Septuagint, Moses and David. Okay. So we've, we've, we've got the physical problem taken care of, but the spiritual problem, which is a depravity problem, this goes back to what the watchers teach people and how to be more efficiently self-destructive and depraved. That continues. So that, that's, that's something that has to be dealt with. And then number three, we have the fragmentation of humanity. God divorces humanity as in a judgment. He's going to start over with Abraham, who's a new Adam, and there's parallels between Adam and Abraham and all this stuff. So he assigns the nations to other sons of God. Okay, They're placeholders. He's still interested in them because we know that from the Abrahamic covenant. It's through one of your seed that all these nations are going to come back to me. They're going to be blessed. But now we've got humanity totally fragmented and under supernatural beings that themselves enter into rebellion. We learned that from Psalm 82 and some other passages. So this is the world as it is. It's a bad place, it's broken in lots of ways. So when the Messiah, if you believe this, then you're thinking when the Messiah comes, he's supposed to deal with not just the fall, Genesis 3, he better deal with all this crap. Okay. Right. And so when Jesus comes, we, we see the, the the resolution of, of the Genesis three problem. We have the death, burial and resurrection. Okay. You, and, and you can't have a resurrection without some, somebody dying. Okay. So the, the death is essential, which takes us to first Corinthians two, where Paul says, you know, had the rulers of this world known what the, what, you know, the fallout would have been, they never would have killed this guy.
0: Yeah. yeah. And, and, and to set that up, I, I wanted to ask you this, like, so they thought they had to kill him. They thought by killing him,
2: end of end of the problem.
0: Yeah. So what? What in the death? What is? The, what in the death? What does it do? Does it? I like, think
2: the 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 death the death is it's substitutionary. I'm, and I think the atonement the atonement actually is a is a variegated thing. It means different things. I don't think we need to adopt one view of the atonement. I think all of the views of the atonement contribute something because it's mm. not a it's not a simple. Way I like.
0: Street. I love that. I love that.
2: So you know, you have the Christus Victor thing, which factors into what what I'll say here in a few minutes. But the death takes takes your death. Okay, you the death that you would have died. He dies for you, but that there's no resolution there unless he rises from the dead. You know, you look at the temptation of, of Satan. Jesus goes out into the wilderness. You know, he's compelled by the Spirit to go out in the wilderness for this confrontation. And, you know, we, we're familiar with the story. You know, Satan starts, you know, quoting him stuff and promising him stuff, you know, to, you know to, to Jesus. And one of the things he does is he quotes Psalm 91 to Jesus. This is the one about, you know, if you throw yourself down, you know, the angels will, will you know, essentially bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. They're going to protect you and all this, uh, you know, this the son of David. Psalm 91 it is in the Dead Sea Scrolls. It's grouped among exorcistic psalms because there are five or six things in the passage that in a Jewish audience were actually names of Canaanite deities plus it has mm-hmm. serpent imagery in it so here you have Satan throwing this at Jesus okay what are you gonna do you know surely the verse means what it says Jesus go ahead throw yourself off here you know now what I think he's doing is he's fishing for information if Jesus throws himself off and he is rescued what 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 does Satan learn well I guess we can't kill him Mm. That's exactly what needs to happen. Hmm. So Jesus is like, no, nah, we're not going to play that game. Hmm. Okay, I'm not putting any card on the table. Quotes Deuteronomy back to him three times. The three things that he quotes in Deuteronomy mirror the corporate son of God, Israel's their journey through the wilderness. All of this stuff's going on. So, you know, you, you, you have this, this whole setup so that when Jesus dies— he visits the spirits in prison. Again, you're going to read Unseen Realm. I, I, think, I think that's a reference to the Watchers, basically re-announcing to them that you're not getting out of here. You didn't win, blah, 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 mm. blah, blah. You know, First Peter 3, you know, I have a whole section of that in Unseen Realm. It turns baptism into spiritual warfare, which is really cool mm. because it's a it's a re-declaration that, that they're doomed. I'm not doomed. Guess what? Yeah, I'm here with you guys right now, but I'm here to tell you I ain't going to be here long. You know, you're going to be here a long time, but I'm out of here, you know. Mm -hmm. So he rises from the dead, which, of course, cures the death problem. But now we get into how we cure both of the other two. What happens to Jesus after he rises from the dead? He ascends to the Father, and that's important for two reasons. One is, when I ascend to the Father, that is the catalytic moment to do what? To have the Spirit sent. What does the Spirit do? The Spirit dwells within believers now, which is a way to retard or rebut or combat depravity. Mm. Now we have the Spirit living within us. So now we're going to start to roll back, okay, the whole depravity thing, and the Spirit sets you on a course of sanctification where you you will become progressively more like Christ. it's It's ultimately the defeat of depravity, your glorification. It's not just you get to have eternal life, it's also you become like Christ. And then the, the other thing it does is when, when he ascends to the right hand of God, he takes the seat that he formerly had as sovereign. How do we know this? Again, there are various verses in, in the New Testament where Paul talks about this, but one in, in Colossians, he does it in Ephesians, that when Christ ascends to the right hand of God, that is equated with the stripping away the undoing of the authority of the powers the principalities the rulers you know the powers of darkness who who are they now well they're, they're the ones who rule the nations you know it, it what why does jesus say at, you know when he when he ascends to heaven to to go do this the last thing he says is the great commission all authority is given to me in heaven and on earth, and on earth. okay well, who had authority up to that point? Up to that point? Well, it's, it's the other gods of the nations because the Most High appointed them to their position. They became corrupt. But now their authority is nullified, is nullified. This is why Paul can go into pagan places, pagan cities, he's the apostle of the Gentiles, and say to them, I don't know if you guys have heard my little story about being on the pagan podcast, you know, with the guy who worships the gods of Greece and Rome. I heard it. I have
0: heard it. Yeah.
2: You know, this guy asked me to be on his podcast. He signed his emails, Hercules. So I thought I should (laughs) read it. (laughs) Yeah. But but he said to me, he goes, I just read your, read your little book, Supernatural, which is the, the lighter version of Unseen Realm. And he goes, I worship the gods of Greece and Rome. And he goes, he goes I, I can't believe that the same worldview is in the Bible. He goes, I, I just don't have anybody I can have this conversation with when you come on my podcast. <laughs> so I did. And, and for like five minutes, he's given me Greco-Roman texts that have the Deuteronomy 32 worldview. And then he says, I have one question. If the Most High, if God, the God of the Bible set this whole thing up, what does he want? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah. <laughs> you know, what he wants is he, he commands Paul, I use Paul as an example, to go into a, a, a Gentile city, one of the nations surrounding Israel that's under dominion of these other authorities, the, the rulers, the principalities and all this. And Paul says, look, I get it. I'm coming to you teaching, you know, preaching Jesus. And I, and I know what you're thinking. You're freaked out and you're scared because if you turn from your gods and turn this way, you think you're just, you're going to get punished. You, you're, you're in a heap, you know, big trouble. You're in a world of hurt. You're frightened. You're scared. I just want you to know that the Most High who set up this whole arrangement became a man. And that same Most High died on a cross for you and commissioned me to come and tell you it's okay to leave these gods. They have no authority over you at all. And you go back home. And not only is it okay, but, but the Most High insists on it. Hmm. This has been the plan. Hmm. So, I mean, Paul has the same worldview, but, but the twist is who's in control of it. Now, again, that doesn't mean that, that the gods are just going to, you know, take their ball and go home. They're fighting for their turf. And this is why, this is, this is why we need to redefine what we think is spiritual warfare.
0: The, the question is, is like, are they flying the UFOs? Are these things still in control? Like what, what, are, what are we waiting for? What, when is the story over? Like, how, it, it sounds like Christ mostly ends the chapter, but it's it's still kind of barreling on. Here's right? what I
2: think. Here's why I think the the deceptive nature, not only of UFO stuff. And again, I, I know there's more than one bucket to put UFO things in. There's five or six buckets, you know, it, they, they could be craft that we've been working on. They could be, you know, the result of supernatural intelligence to deceive us you know in in my view okay they could be extraterrestrial maybe that they're just a, a total other thing to discuss that isn't you know intrinsically related to this all these things are these are all buckets for me but in regard to your specific question here you have a situation where paul in the New testament actually links the return of Jesus to the fullness of the Gentiles that is bringing all the people that God wants from their nations that are under dominion, bringing them back into the fold, because that is the catalyst to the redemption of Israel. You know, all Israel will be saved in Romans 11. And then the end comes you have the second coming, the day of the Lord and all this stuff. So, so all of that is actually linked to the great commission. Okay. If you want to know what spiritual warfare is, all you got to do is ask yourself one question. Okay. It's not shouting at demons. It's not, you know, praying for, you know, different rooms of the house. and I don't have a problem with any of that. I think those are good things. If, they, if they're faith-affirming, go ahead and do them. Be blessed, okay? But ultimately, what spiritual warfare really is, you can ask yourself this question, what are the powers of darkness afraid of? What do they dread? They dread their own destruction. Hmm. And their own destruction is on a timetable, and it's linked to the reclaiming of the nations, which is the task of the great commission. So if I were a cosmic intelligent evil power, my strategy is really simple. I mean, I get asked all the time, do they think they can win? Depends how you define win. No, I don't think they're idiots like they're like oh we're going to beat God and kill him off. You know, they're not going to think that. But here's what they do think. You know, all we got to do to stick around is to distract the church. We corrupt it, we make it worldly. We, we have people, Christians invalidate their own testimony to impede the great commission. We get Christians doing other stuff that doesn't factor into the great commission. We're going to be here a long time. Hmm. Sounds like hmm. a good plan.
1: Yeah. you yeah. still just lady inevitable, right? you right.
2: And so just the UFO, it. the UFO stuff that all the, the spiritual theological messaging that goes with this, I think is part of that. It's, it's to, it's to seduce people into the things that, that in their heart of hearts they want the most because God wired them that way. They want transcendence. They want a relationship with something bigger than themselves. They want to feel accepted and embraced, you know, and, and, and validated and loved. All, everybody wants this stuff, and so this is the, this is what fills the void for a lot of people. And and you 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 combine that like in contactee literature, the messaging is very consistently redefining Christology redefining the person of Christ you know I don't I, I don't know if I if I've ever heard a single contactee episode where, where Muhammad is redefined mm. or Islam or Buddha okay Jesus and the gospel you know who, who Jesus is and what he did is always the target for tweaking I don't think that's an accident So I think in, in, in some respects, what, what we think of as the UFO stuff, especially the contact team movement and all this kind of stuff, I think it is sinister and it is demonic. I don't, I don't think everything, you know, in the UFO orbit, pardon the pun, fits into that yeah. box. But I think it's a very significant element of this whole subject.
1: It's very it's really interesting, though, because you, you're right. you don't ever They don't ever go after Krishna or Buddha. Or, yeah, they, they're they not don't
2: trying need to read- yeah, they're 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 not they're not going to put you back into into they're not going to send you home to the most high.
1: Right, it's not the yeah, that's not the threat. You're
2: still under dominion. Yeah, even though even though you even though the dominion's been invalidated, we're going to lie to you so that you stay right here. Mm-hmm.
0: I know you got to go. We got we don't have a lot of time, but uh, I, it's funny how a podcast on Bigfoot can go here, <laughs> right?
2: Like, oh, that, oh, that's what you wanted to talk about. <laughs> No, no,
0: like not at that's, all. No, it's just like Bigfoot's the gateway drug. We we say on our show. <laughs> <laughs> I did have one. I, I did have one last question. I've always wanted to ask you. Why do you think God divides up the nations? I never really understood that. That just seems so. Yeah,
2: I different. I think it. I think it. Well, it's it's obvious. This is pretty much everybody's view that the, the tower was a ziggurat. What's a ziggurat? It's part of a temple complex. You know, so they're 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 building this to have a relationship with God on their own terms. Hmm. And 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 the very act of doing that. I mean, it even says in Genesis 11, let's build a tower lest we be dispersed over oh in other words lest we obey what we were just told to do. <laughs> you know, let's make sure we don't do that. You know, so it, it it it's very clear that that there's a rebellion here and and honestly I think at this time humanity has had enough chances. <laughs> we're like even God is fed up. <laughs> Like, look, I mean, how? I, I promised I wouldn't do the flood thing again. Right. So I'll tell you what we're going to do this time. I'm going to give you what you're asking for. Ah. You don't want me to be your God. You want to cultivate some other spiritual relationships. You don't want to be part of my my family. Let's try that. You know, and he, I think he assigns them again to, to the sons of God, Deuteronomy 32, 8, 9, Deuteronomy 4, 19, and 20. You can trace this through Deuteronomy. You know, and initially, he, I think he, he wants the people governed according to his own character. He wants them governed well. And how do, why do I say that? How do I know that? Because in Psalm 82, the gods of the nations are condemned for doing the opposite, and God is not happy with that. Hmm. They not only abuse their nations, dominate them, really sow chaos among humanity. And of course, accept worship of themselves and even lead Israel to worship them. Deuteronomy 32, 17 and all these places that, you know, they, they do that. And God is unhappy because we're just going to do this for a while. I'm going to go call this guy, Abraham. Okay. I'm just going to pick this dude and he doesn't know it yet, but he's perfect because he and his wife are too old to have kids. So I'm going to start a new humanity. Mm. And they're perfect because I have to be the one who supernaturally does this and all their descendants are going to remember this and know that the only reason they exist is because of an act of creative power. Okay. Hmm. So we're going to do this and it's going to be through him that all the rest of you are going to come back home. But because of, you know, God, the abuse of God's good gift of free will. Okay. I'm a free will theodicist, you know, it's intrinsic to imaging God. There's, there's no getting out of it because of that. The whole thing just blows up because of the abuse of God's good gift, like it did in the beginning. Hmm. God's not surprised by this. The first time it happened, he already had a plan Okay, before the foundations of the world. You know, God knew this. But, you know, I get asked about why there's evil and all this stuff, how God fits into it. If you understand evil this way, what it means is that, yeah, yeah, evil's here because of this decision God made to give us free will. And we have to have that gift so that we can image him. If we, if we, we can't say we're like God unless we have these attributes he shares with us. Okay. So, yeah, that's true. But God already knew what the result would be from that. And isn't it interesting that God decided that he would rather have all the chaos and the pain that he shares? You know, we, we think that, that you know, God is immune from, from being affected by human evil. I got news for you. You think you know pain and evil better than God? God sees everybody
3: hmm.
2: all the time. So don't, so don't tell me like you've got a corner on this. God made, God made that decision, which tells us that he would rather go through all that than to not have us at all.
0: Oh, man, that's so good. That's so good. Yeah. Yeah. And I, when we hear about the golden age, the original time when the, when the megaliths are getting built and how depraved it really was, the fact that it goes on for as long as it did. And it's just like, man, this... Evil barrels on for a you know, while.
2: And, and, and again, we, we ask why, why so long? It's because yeah. God doesn't cheat. Uh, yeah. well, God, could, God could get from point A to point B like that if he took away free will. Hmm. But then God cheats. It's an admission that the original plan, the original, the original way he made humans was a bad idea. No. And do you think
0: that's why every human being wants someone to want them?
2: I, I, yes, I, I think that that we are part, this is how we're wired. We are wired for for community with fellow imagers and to want a relationship with our creator. We're just wired that way. Hmm. And when we don't have it or we persist in having it in, in ways that are either going to be self-destructive or that we are deceived or we willfully go off and, and look at another as God, that it's never satisfying. It's never what it what it should be and could be. Hmm. I just think it's part of the way we are, the yeah. how we're made.
1: Well, I think I think too that love's a choice, right? And if God is love, then He couldn't violate His own rules of us choosing right. Him.
2: Yeah. He is He is not going to cheat. His His integrity is at stake. His love is at stake. His His omniscience is at stake. So yeah, yeah. It, because God commits Himself to having a human family. Mm. On the same terms that he decided from the beginning. Yeah, that's going to take a while. Yeah. But you know what? You know, he's he's big enough to do it. You know, I don't want to drift off into the into the <laughs> whole you know sovereignty and free will thing, but like in, in in unseen realm, I talk about why foreknowledge does not necessitate predestination. And it's very easy to see in, in you know 1 Samuel 23 when David, you know, is holed up in Kyla. And Saul finds out, he's like, David, you idiot. Kyla's a walled city. I finally got you. I'm going to go down there and surround the city and you can't get out. Mm. So David hears that Saul knows and that he's, he's going to come down. And so he says, hey, bring over the ephod. I got to ask God a question. You know, like, like, hurry. You know? <laughs> bring that thing over here. And, and David asks God two questions. He says, will Saul come down? And surround the city. Will he come down to get me? God says, yep, you betcha. Second question is okay, will the men of Kila, who I just saved from the Philistines, you would think they owe me a favor, but will the men of Kyla hand me over to Saul? God says, yeah, they'll do that. They're going to do that. They sure will. Because what's the alternative? Saul's men surround the city and you starve them out. You cut off the water supplies. It's classic siege warfare. This is how it's done. So what does David do? He does what you and I would do. See you. Okay, like I'm out of here. <laughs> but, but what it teaches us is that God foreknew two things that never happened. Mm. David is not handed over and Saul hears that David has left and he, wow. he, he doesn't come down to the city. Okay, got away again. So the fact that God foreknows things does not mean that they're predestined. And in fact, the the, the Reformed creed, I mean, the Reformed people, this drives them nuts because of the high Calvinism. Look, your own creeds say this, okay? God knows all things real and possible. If if God knowing the possible makes them real, then there really are no, they're they're only realities. And if God knows alternative possibilities, Now we've got conflicting realities, like how does that work? Okay, God knows both, but it doesn't require the predestination Hmm. issue. Now God can predestinate things if he wants to. He's allowed to do that, he's God, okay? But he doesn't need to. And so God is is operating in this kind of world. And I I always use the the chess illustration. What's more impressive? God sits down at the table with you to play chess. God looks at you and says, gonna play a game of chess today. And I just want you to know that I have predestined every move you're going to make and you're going to. Lose.
3: <laughs> yeah.
2: Okay. Well, that's really not as impressive as this conversation. God and you sit down for a game of chess and God looks at you and says, we're going to play a game of chess today. And I just want you to know you can move anywhere you want. I haven't mm-hmm. predestinated your moves. And I'm, but still-, he's the best chess player. I'm still going to win. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still going to have my way.
0: <laughs> and sometimes in the chess game you sacrifice your queen to win, right? Yep. And there you go. Yeah. Right? Nothing like dropping
1: a not not like dropping a mine grenade at the very end. Just the very end. Here's a little here's a little just a little something for everybody to If predestination, I mean I love Well, it.
0: I, man, I have so many questions. I, I, I the, my last thing is just real quick like the hang up people have is that they think you know, a lot of people walk away from all this whole story because they think if I don't I'm going to be burning in hell forever. Is, is hell designed for these these entities that sinned? I mean, I know that's a, a whole nother nutshell.
2: But- well, it, it, I mean, it, it, Scripture uses that language, you know, as far as, you know, their, their punishment. But it, it's actually the language about the lake of fire being, you know, for the devil and his angels, which occurs in one passage. It's Matthew 25. Um, that language really doesn't resolve the larger question of is hell eternal torment or is it annihilation? I mean, both of them are permanent, a permanent separation from God, you know, that kind of thing. So I, I think I think that that language is sort of, pardon the pun, is the fallout of the initial rebellion. You know, in other words, because of the initial rebellion, we get death and we get the realm of the dead you know, all this stuff, and the original rebel is cast down there, but all humans now are essentially, this is why Satan is called the god of this world, because everything dies. Ultimately, everything is going to go across his desk, everything winds up there. So, in in, in that sense, yeah, you have the initial creation of this prior to, you know, Adam and Eve's death, this place exists, so it, it is created for him, the Lord of the Dead, and anyone else who would follow him, you know, and the New Testament writer looks back and, and knows the rest of the story about these other rebels and Tartarus and the abyss and all this kind of thing. So I, I think you can say, you know, initially, yeah, this is where this is where the concept of an underworld, you know, a separation from God in terms of death. This is where it originates out of supernatural rebellion. But but humans are, are caught up in it immediately, you know, in, in sort of the, the, the story arc, you know, from, from the New Testament. But God obviously didn't intend that from the beginning. There is no abyss. There is no shield. There is no underworld in Eden. Hmm. It is a post-Edenic
1: thing. It's, it's, it's yeah. It's the, it's the effect, right. right? It's the, of the co- It's not you know.
2: the yeah. It's it's an effect. So yeah. you know you, you have to sort of again put it in its framework. You know, not only its cosmological framework, but just its theological framework.
0: Yeah. Man, well you have to go back and watch the whole movie. And that's kind of what we've been trying to do on our show is to get people to and you said don't yourself, skip you know, the
2: prologue, man, don't skip the introduction.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Right. And you're going to sp- yeah. you said you could spend the rest of your days just in the first 15 chapters of Genesis. Dr. Heiser, thank you so much. I know you got to go. You got yeah. you got to you go on 100 podcasts a year. We appreciate you coming on to our show. <laughs> yeah, thank you. And yeah, uh thanks, dropping a lot of great ones, just a lot of um just things to ponder and i know that you can combine the fringe and that's what we try to do on our show is just give people you know just the license to look into some weird things
2: appreciate it those people really need to need to be welcomed you know to a theological discussion because their questions are inherently theological yeah it's just there's no escaping it and, and, and they're yeah. ready to have a good discussion whereas a lot of you know people who not in the, in the fringe world or you know sort of stayed in their own tradition they're they're not as ready you know it's it's as important for everybody but the 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 fringe community is important because they're already thinking about this stuff
3: yeah
0: we'll have to have you back on if you're if you're up for it can you plug where people can get involved with what you're doing
2: yeah i mean the the nerve center is dr as in dr msh my initials drmsh.com that pretty much you know has links through tabs to all the other stuff that i'm doing the books, you know, any any of my books, you can get on Amazon. Uh, please include my middle initial, Michael S. Heiser. Believe it or not, there's a there's a Michael A. Heiser out there who has written one or two you know Bible study things. That's not me, okay. <laughs> you know, but you, if you see Unseen Realm, you know you'll you'll know um, that you got the right guy. So Amazon's good for that, but yeah, the, the homepage will link to the podcast, Naked Bible podcast. I I, I have a YouTube channel, Fringe Pop Three Two One. You know, that we, we we discuss, you know, thinking about fringe things. So all that. Paranormal is another podcast. We've only got like 15 episodes of that, but we'll, we'll try to do another one or two of those where we we discuss paranormal stuff from the perspective of peer-reviewed literature and science. There are actually scholars who, who are into these topics, but, you know, We
0: kind of do that, but we're not that smart, so. Oh. No, we're not scholars <laughs> yet.
2: Well, we, we just build off you know, some research or some experiment somebody did, you know, it, a lot yeah. of people don't realize that stuff's published. Like it, yeah. it it's for real, like it, it made it into a journal, you know, right. <laughs> so we, we like right. to do that too. But, you know, just create multiple entry points. I have fiction, the facade and, and the sequel is the portent where it's, it's paranormal fiction, but it's also very theological. Yeah. So yeah, any of those things.
0: I love it. And I love that you've awesome. I love that you've found a way not to get cancelled. You've you know what I mean? Like not you yet. you can talk about the weird stuff and you've you've built a big following and it's really encouraging. It helps a lot of people like myself who just kinda of got into this progressive read of the Bible and I was just so off. It was I'm, it I'm thinking
2: fun. if I can get into the Illuminati, then that's I'll be canceled proof. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: uh. <laughs> Hey, if that if that happens, it would just get get us in too. We want to be mold. Yeah, we want to yeah, yeah, know I, what's going I, on. I can
2: be a reference on your application.
1: Perfect. Do <laughs> just teach us the handshake on
0: the slide, Yeah. And if you had to say yes or no, is Bigfoot out there?
2: Oh gosh. Yeah, he, he's out there in some form. <laughs> <laughs>